Hello and welcome to the second edition of the Seamills and Coomdingle Community Podcast, brought to you by the Seamills 100 Heritage Project. I'm Mary Milton. In this edition, we'll be hearing some of your World War II memories, and Sam Saunders will be delving further into the mysteries of the Seamills School Logbook. Then we'll be coming bang up to date and joining Johnny Walker on the recent Scarecrow Trail. But first, we hear from Kevin Evans, Joe Castell, Stan Tozer, and Quentin Williams as they remember World War II. If it hadn't been for Hitler, I probably never have got to see Mills because he bombed our house in Bath when I was two and a half. And so we had to leave Bath. I'd probably been brought up in Bath, which I hate anyway. <laughs> Seamills wasn't really touched during the war, bomb-wise, but there was shrapnel hit a few houses in Sylvan Way. Just along here, you can see it. I noticed the other day it's still there, on the, about the fifth house along here. But we were very lucky. And also, I did hear that Mr. Borwell, the hairdresser, who was a bit of a chatterbox, during the war he sent all the boys in Seamills parcels of cigarettes which I didn't know till years after and I changed my mind about him completely you know I thought that was very nice of him <laughs> I used to hate having to go we had Anderson shelter oh and I used to dread going down that shelter because my main phobia I've got is spiders oh and it was full of spiders, spiders down there was it and I used to beg my mum I said please don't let's have to go to the shelter but we had to go down the air raid shelter. And I can remember my grandfather was alive as well and he lived with us. And I used to cry, I used to see the spiders going up and then all of a sudden they'd fall and they'd fall on me and I'd squeal and squeal. And I can remember my grandfather saying, no, that child making the fuss, there's Hitler throwing down bloody bombs. And uh, she's yelling over a spider that I was far more worried frightened of the spiders than I was of anything else. Uh-huh. My wife, uh, that's a long story. Uh, the, the story starts in October 1942 in the church hall of the Methodist Church on Seamill Square. At that time, the Methodist Church had a hall that ran along the back of the terrace of four houses in West Parade of of similar sort of length on the night in question in the middle of the war, two two years into the war. uh, A special social evening was held for the youth of uh, of, of females. Early in the evening... Musical chairs was put on, and uh, when the music stopped, I-, I found myself with plenty of empty chairs, and I sat not on one, but I sat on the space between two chairs, and the- a girl came round looking for a chair, and I simply moved myself slightly to expose the chair to the right of me, and I pointed to it, and she sat on it. 
And that started a relationship that endured for 69 years. It was, uh, you must remember, this was 1940. Every house was blacked out. It was solid darkness, no street lighting. What could you do but say, uh, can I see you home? Fortunately, we both... We both lived in the same direction. And so walked home, made arrangements to uh, see each other uh, again the next day, uh, found out more about each other that day. Twelve months later, she saw me off to answer the call to join the army, and uh, she was... uh, at my bed with my mother when I returned to England badly wounded and supported me through until eventually we we married and we we enjoyed uh, 64 uh, years together including of course the usual uh, telegram from the Queen uh, on our 60th I don't want to talk about the war, because everybody talks about the goddamn war. But George Winslade and I were on the way to school one day, and the most spectacular thing I saw during that whole of the war was really rather nothing to do with the war, in a sense. Because the the barge balloons were up, they were grey. The sky was blue, except for the white clouds. And the clouds were white, except for the dark clouds. So now you've got... You've got three colours, blue, white, and dark grey. The barge balloons themselves were pale grey. And there was a thunderstorm suddenly with, with lightning, fork lightning. The fork lightning was yellow. And when they struck the barge balloons and made them burst into flames, the flames were black. The smoke was that black, of course. And the flames were bright yellow and bright red. It was the most colourful and spectacular thing I've ever seen. And, of course, um, the Germans were nowhere around. It was, it was just one of those strange accidents. Thank you, Kevin, Joan, Stan and Quentin for their memories, and to Claire Medland, Mandy Meek and Ruth Crumey for recording them. Next, Sam Saunders has been continuing to work his way through the Seamills Junior School logbook. The logbook may be from the 1930s, but it should be noted when you listen to this piece that we recorded it during lockdown, when only the children of key workers were attending school. It was also recorded over the internet, so please forgive the odd drop in audio quality. I started by asking Sam which year he's reached in the book. Hello. Uh, yes, so 1933 we've hit. Um, so a rather um, a topical start to 1933, given uh, current world events. On the 13th of January, one of our teachers, Miss Lee, is absent through illness. Nothing particularly remarkable uh, on its own. On the 16th of January, she then return. However, within the same entry, we have um, the following. So on the 16th of January... Miss Lee resumed her duties, but later on in that same entry, it um, states the percentage of attendance for the past week 
as 86.6%, this being due to a large number of children away with influenza. Uh, Within three days of that, we have an entry that says that no less than 115 children are absent this morning due to the influenza epidemic. And it actually refers to it as an it epidemic. Does. It does. It, it uses the word epidemic. And it actually, the same entry again, um, says that one girl actually died as a result Gosh. Of, of the influenza. I did look into this a, a little bit. And I, I think in 1933, they weren't aware of viruses and kind of how they worked. So influenza would have been really serious at, at that time. Ah. There was so little kind of known about it comparatively yeah. to now. So how badly does that hit the school? Um, well, the next um, couple of entries after that. So Miss Lee is absent again. A few days after that, Mr. Hunkin is out as well. So we've got two of our teachers over with a not massive amount of teaching staff anyway. Of the 270 um, students on the registers, uh, 90 are still absent in the following week. Um, putting the attendance now down to 62.5%. So it's going down. It, it goes down again the following week. Um, and as Duncan comes back, the attendance goes down to 59.4%. So that's 40% of the school are ill and away. Yeah. Uh, or This is how it's written in the, in the log entry that the average attendance was 160 pupils. That's out of 282 on the registers which is quite a sizable number of um, students. That would have been very noticeable in the classroom, wouldn't it? Absolutely. I mean, I don't know, I'm not sure what the class sizes were on these. I think they were slightly larger than you might expect today. But if you took an average class of 13 now, and all of a sudden you just dropped out 12 students. This is what's been happening in our schools, isn't it? We've had much smaller class sizes for the, for the children who have been back. Yeah, or uh, I'd imagine quite noticeable for the children of um, key workers, for example, who didn't ever stop going to school, mm. but all of their fellow students who were able to stay at home um, did. I imagine that would have been a somewhat maybe similar experience. Yeah. To the... We've got an interesting piece on the website, actually, about the design of the um, of the Seamill School in that it was designed to make it very easy to um, ventilate the classrooms. So there's large windows on one side and then over the top of the corridor in the centre of the school, which is the other side of the same classroom, there's small windows to ventilate there. So you get like a through ventilation that was supposed to actually benefit health. So that's um, that's quite appropriate now, actually, considering a lot of the um, things that they're looking at reopening, like gyms, leisure centres and whatnot are having to do assessments on how well they're ventilated. Yeah. And so they're obviously onto something there in those early days. I mean, they knew that even back then. Yes. Even the back of designing the school. Yeah, so well done whoever designed that in the 1930s. Yes. <laughs> Good foresight. Yeah. What else have we got in the um, in the logbook? So just to finish on that last bit, Mr Snell manages to get ill as well. This is mid-February now, so on the 13th of February. Attendance starts to get back up to 90% four or five week period where they had to deal with that so that's quite uh quite an experience for them all i would say yeah but nothing um, probably compared to what we're going through at the moment actually no not quite no <laughs> <laughs> but topical one of the interesting entries from may 1933 so it's the 25th of may 
they have an inspector visit, which isn't unusual. There's a fair few inspector visits, probably due to the fact that it is a new school. On this day in question, Mr. A. Roberts, an LEC inspector, visits. And during his visit, between 12 noon and 12.20, he gives what seems to be an impromptu, um, as it says on here, lesson on reproduction. Really? Impromptu? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, it doesn't seem like it was pre-planned because they're... I mean, maybe, maybe it was, but it it seems just a bit odd. Not the actual lesson itself. Um, it's given to 20 children, probably the older children, which makes sense. What's peculiar about the entry is it says that the whole of the staffs of this school, so the junior school, and and the infants department were present. It just makes me wonder what, what was happening with all of the rest of the children. Who who was looking after them? Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a good question actually, isn't it? <laughs> it was only a short, so it says it in place between twelve noon and twelve twenty. After that, um, it was followed by an interesting discussion. Okay, is how it is written within the entry. So now he had visited a couple of days before, a few yeah, it must have been the previous week to actually do his inspection, hadn't he? Yes. So he's come on the nineteenth. And he's done his day and a half inspection. Yes. So he's completed it on the 19th. Mm. There's a meeting with him and the staff. All were present at noon. So I guess that's when the the children probably go home for lunch. Possibly. That's true. So may, maybe that's why all of the staff were there um, for that lesson. I'm pretty sure I've heard in the oral histories that people have said that when they were very young children, they went home for lunch. Ah. So that might explain that. So he's done his inspection and then he said there was a meeting with the staff where various propositions were put forward and discussed, including some very helpful hints put forward by him. Mm. And then he's felt the need to come back the following week and give a lesson on reproduction to 20 children. Why that was the case we're not entirely sure no i wonder if that came out of the inspection oh gosh (laughs) there's a thought it just seems a little bit strange it's the same guy doesn't it that's come back yes well that's an interesting (laughs) one to leave it on isn't it maybe someone can enlighten us and let us know what that was all about so thank you very much sam and uh, we'll come back to you next time and see what else you've learned okie doke thank you Thank you, Sam. Now it's time to come right back up to date with the recent Seamills and Coombdingle Scarecrow Trail. We have a church dedicated to St Edith in Seamills. Have you ever wondered who she was? Well, so had Johnny Walker, which is why he not only recreated her in scarecrow form, he put up an information board about her too. We're actually on St. Edith's Road, which is one of the main roads in, in Seamills. I think we've been quite shocked at how many people have stopped and, and read what we said about her. I think they're really interested in learning about someone who's in a scarecrow, but actually doesn't really look like a scarecrow. She looks, she looks quite nice. We raided our next door neighbour's um, uh, sort of 
uh, dressing up box <laughs> to, to dress her up and um, she's got little gold shoes and we actually found that there is a um, if anybody wants to go in this church on the right as you go into the um, sort of like the altar bit she's actually there and so we copied her face and stuck it up on the scarecrow um, so n nothing as nice as what's in the church but we just thought it would be a nice thing to explain to people that the street was named after uh, this lady who was a saint Tell me a little bit about her. So she was actually living about a thousand years ago and she was the daughter of, of the king. I can't remember the name of the king, but he was king of England and um, she went to live in a monastery with her mother. And then she was offered, because her brother died, or her half-brother, to become the Queen of England. She refused and preferred to stay a nun. But one of the really interesting things was that she used to dress up in quite fine clothing. And that went against the ecclesiastical thinking of the day that you had to dress very simply as a nun. And her retort to her bishops and the leaders was that actually what mattered to her, what mattered to God was what was in the inside, not what was on the outside. And what I felt when we did the research was I felt it made quite a, an, a statement to, if you think of the things that young people are going through, especially young girls, about having to look in a certain sort of way that I felt that actually spoke something quite special into our, into our society that actually it's on the inside that matters and not the outside. And we've got some people here enjoying the Scarecrow. What do you think? We really liked St Edith. It was very informative. We knew nothing about her before. So, What do you think of the Scarecrow, Ruby? Good. It's a good one, isn't it? I think I, I like the face as well. That's very clever. I really like the cloak. The cloak, yes, that's good, isn't it? And the story, Mysterious St Edith. When she challenged by the bishop, said that God looks inside our hearts, which must be filled with love, purity, humility, and not what we look like on the outside. Do you agree with her? Absolutely. Yeah. Doesn't matter what you wear on the outside. Should we go to the park? Yeah. Well, I think that's my cue to be off too. I hope you have enjoyed this edition of our podcast. If you have comments or suggestions or you'd like to contribute, please do get in touch via our website at www.cmills100.co.uk. We're also on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Just search for Cmills100. If you know anyone in Seamills or Coombe Dingle who would enjoy this podcast but isn't able to listen online, we can also deliver it on an easy-to-use standalone player. Get in touch on their behalf or they can find details of how to get in touch with us by phone in the latest edition of the Community Voice magazine. Community Voice is delivered to every house in Seamills and Coombe Dingle. That's all for this time. Do join me next time. Bye-bye.